Awesome. awesome. Okay, you. well, good morning. I'm, I'm doing this week's Lectio. Um, I'm going to start by reading a scripture from Luke. It's from the New International Version. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. I want to focus on the idea of fear, the fear I often feel when I think of myself in comparison with God, or maybe more when I compare myself as I am now with what I think God expects of me. In the reading, the angel says, don't be afraid, before he says anything else. He tells them about baby Jesus and where to find him. That would have been enough to create great fear, seeing an angel, one angel. But maybe the shepherds could have pulled it together and just hurried off to find Jesus, awed and amazed that they had seen an angel, a messenger straight from God's presence and lived to tell about it. But no, next we have this. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This scripture gives me chills. It always has. Picture it, an entire sky filled with an angel choir. And can you say you wouldn't be afraid? But that is the mystery right there. Because God himself is greater even than an angel choir. And he tells us not to be afraid. And he means it. Do you ever fear that God can't love you as you are? That you need to change first? What aspects of yourself do you imagine are unlovable? May we remember the words of the angel and believe that God's favor truly does rest on us. Good morning. So today we remember Jesus' death through communion in the season of Advent where we're celebrating his birth. And I'd like to read some excerpts of a, an Advent communion liturgy by Lydia Smith. As we come to this table, we are reminded that this is the table of Jesus Christ, a banquet prepared for everyone. All who seek to be nourished and sustained in the journey of faith, all who seek wholeness and compassionate paths to peace and justice, are welcome here. Blessed are you, breath of peace, giver of all life, source of love that knows no boundaries. Your song of wisdom rang out before the world began. Throughout the ages, your song of liberation has impregnated us with your hope for a world where those considered last and least are first and most. 
where violence is overcome by the power of your ancient love and all siblings work together for peace. You bring our longings to birth and send prophets to awaken us to your approaching advent among us. We thank you for those who, like Mary, have the strength and courage to give birth to your love in the world. For those who, like the shepherds, dare to seek out the child of Bethlehem. And for those who, like the wise ones, actively challenge violent and oppressive powers. We praise you that your everlasting light is shown to us in womb and tomb, in cradle and cross, in tenderness and compassion. We join in the Advent prayer of all your people, O come, Emmanuel. At this time, we remember Jesus, who on the night before he died, took a loaf of bread, gave you thanks, broke it and said, take and eat, whatever you do, whenever you do this, remember me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the new covenant, remember me. Gracious God, breath of peace, source of love, we pray for your spirit. Make us, while many, one. Make us, though broken, whole. Make us, despite death, alive. And so we pray, come, Holy Spirit, come. Amen. Just going to pray for Casey because he's going to be sharing. So, Lord, thank you for Casey. We pray that you would bless him as he shares with us this morning and that you would speak to our hearts through his words. Amen. All right, let me just get, I guess, um, so for those of you that haven't met me, um, my name is Casey. Uh, my wife, Krisha, and I have been living in Abbotsford for the last couple of years, um, two and a half years about, and we've been with the bridge for about, I think about a year now, and most of that's been on Zoom. Um, for the last month or two, we've been, we've been coming to, Krisha and I have been coming to the Lowen's house. To, to do church kind of together with them as we do it virtually, which has been such a breath of fresh air. Thank you so much, Karina and Josh, uh, for welcoming us in. So let me just try and share my screen here. And play. Okay. So we've been going through a book um, for the last, this is the third week now, and it's called Advent Conspiracy. And it's been, it's been a really interesting book to read. It's been sort of a different take on, on Advent. So before I get started, I just wanted to recap the first two weeks for anyone that may have not been able to tune in, may have not watched 
Um, it's a little bit different, but somehow connected still to, to the themes of Advent. So in week one, Eden shared with us about worshiping fully. Um, and this was, this was a, a great one to kick off the Advent season with um, because it just, it just talked about and challenged us to, to sort of recenter um, on, on what is actually the meaning of Christmas. Uh, and it challenged me um, to think about what am I setting my affections on in this season? Um, and yeah, I'd be interested to hear what, what might've challenged you about what Eden shared. In week two, last week, Sarah shared with us about spending less, or she sort of rephrased it into spending I was really fitting, uh, because the idea of spending less in the Christmas season is sort of ambiguous. It sort of depends on how much disposable income you might have. Um, so the idea of spending well, spending thoughtfully, if we are going to spend, um, thinking even, I liked how she pulled in the idea of um, the three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle. I thought that was really um, a really good way to kind of tie it together. Um, and then this week we're talking about um, giving more. Um, but I wanted to, to recap the other ideas because I think it's important to, to consider what giving more might be while also worshiping fully and spending less or spending well. So before reading from the scriptures, I wanted to ask three questions that the book Advent Conspiracy asks. Um, so feel free to write them in the chat or answer these questions in the Q&R time when we're finished. Um, I'd love to, to kind of start a discussion about this. And I've been, I've really enjoyed watching the videos that have been on, um, I've been seeing them on Facebook. I'm not sure if they were on Instagram as well, but I've been enjoying watching the videos of gifts that, that people have either given or received that didn't cost a lot, uh, but were still really memorable to them. So the first question that the book asks is, what is the most memorable Christmas gift you ever received? Um, I'm okay with um, expanding that to give, uh, what is the most memorable Christmas gift you've given um, as well? Um, the second question was, what is it about the gift that touched you or impacted you? And the third question is, why do you remember it to this day? Uh, so I'm gonna move on to the scripture. Um, we're reading from Matthew two this morning. Um, and that's the, um, the part of the uh, Christmas story that talks about the, the Magi coming, coming to Jesus. So, um, so starting in verse two, in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men or Magi kings, uh, we're, we're fairly certain they were non-Jews, came from the east to Jerusalem asking, where is the child? who has been born king of the Jews. For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And the prophet said, and you Bethlehem in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For you, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men, the Magi, to, and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. Um, we're fairly certain that he, 
he didn't want to go and pay him homage. He wanted to actually go and kill them, kill the child. But um, that's what he told to, the, to these magi. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child uh, with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. So according to many sources, but I'm going to cite uh, a National, Geogra National Geographic article that I read online by a, a man named Jean-Pierre Isbouts. Um, but these, this can be found fairly, fairly readily on Wikipedia or, or a number of other sources. Uh, but these gifts had special symbolic meanings. Gold signified Jesus' royalty or the king of the Jews. Frankincense represented the infant's divinity and identity as son of God. And I've also seen other places identify it as, as sort of his priestliness as well. And mere myrrh, not mere, myrrh touched upon his mortality. Um, and it, it could also be signified as sort of an embalming fluid uh, for when he was to die. There are other interpretations of the gifts as well. Um, but we'll go with this one for this morning. So what is it about these gifts that the wise men or the Magi gave that were significant beyond just the external value that we see in these items? Um, the first thing that I saw is that um, these men came a long way um, and they followed something that many of us would probably see as an arbitrary item in the sky. Um, we don't know how to read the signs. We don't know how to read the stars, most of us. I'm not an astrologer, I'm not an astronomer. I don't know how to read those things, but they somehow were able to read those and they came and they came personally a long way. They didn't send messengers. Um, likely they could have just sent, you know, other, um, other people that weren't as important as them to go and to go and give these gifts, but they came in person. Um, and they also came and they didn't just like drop the gifts at his feet, but they, they did it in a very, like, in a very humble way. They came and actually gave him homage and, uh, the scripture says that they bowed down before him as the, as the king. So we can see that these gifts were also given with intention. Whether you whether you think that they were that the symbol was what the National Geographic article said, or whether you think they meant something else, it seems clear that they weren't just random gifts that they they had in their treasure chests, but they actually planned out what they were going to give. So back to the questions. What is the most memorable gift you've received or given? What was it that touched you and why do you still remember? Um, last week, Sarah talked about gifts that you've given or received that didn't cost a lot. Uh, for the purposes of my example, I'm going to talk about one that, that actually did cost a lot that I received uh, because it really did impact me. So um, about three years ago, three Christmases ago, um, my wife, uh, kind of in response to, to a dream and something we've been talking about a little bit. We've been talking about things that, that we really wanted to, to do in the, in the next phase of our life. And so she uh, basically gave me um, for Christmas, which was very, very abnormal for us to spend this much, but she basically gave me a brand new uh, computer and it was like one of the big 27 inch IMAX. So a fairly high-end computer, 
very abnormal for us. We, we don't usually spend a lot on each other at Christmas. Um, so this was like really out of the norm for us, which is why I bring it up. And the reason that it impacted me was because it, it pushed me to do something which I'd been really wanting to do for several years, which was to actually finally, with some of the songs that I'd written, actually record them, um, mix them down, produce them, master them, and then release them to the world, uh, which was something that was um, really impactful. It, it showed me that that Krisha had been had been listening when we when we'd been talking about what what are some things that we dreamed of doing, uh, and that's why I still remember it. And I also remember it because I have the finished product um, that that I was able to release a few years ago. So on to on to Christmas. Um, thinking about Christmas and my own gift giving traditions. Um, my own truth in the matter of, of giving and, and thinking of giving more is that, and I don't know if any of you are like this, but I don't always feel inspired when it comes to gift giving. Um, honestly, sometimes I do it purely out of tradition. And I know that there's gifts that I just, I'm gonna do. You know, I'm gonna get something for my wife. I'm gonna get something for my parents. Um, whether it's big or small, but sometimes I, sometimes I have inspiration, sometimes not so much. There's a side of me that loves the tradition of gift giving, but then there's a side of me that, that really struggles sometimes to find that perfect gift and to feel the inspiration. Another side of me, and this is the, this is the accountant side of me, so that's what I do uh, for a nine to five, is I pretty much always think about the cost of the gifts, given and received. It's always somewhere in my brain. And I, it's like a part of my brain that I can't shut off, unfortunately. That's why the idea of, of giving in other ways is, is really meaningful to me because it maybe will allow me to shut off a part of my brain. Um, lastly, uh, when it comes to receiving gifts, um, something that I've, that I've realized in the last few years is that uh, when I open a card that I've received from someone and there's another gift card, um, sometimes um, it makes me feel as if I'm not known, if I'm not seen, if I'm not heard, especially if it's just another Starbucks card, which is, it's great to receive those things, um, but, but sometimes it can, again, just sharing my truth, sometimes it can feel like just another generic present, um, which is why I also don't like to really give gift cards. So, when reading through this book, my pessimistic side would say that there can be sort of an emptiness in me on Christmas morning after the presents are open. Sometimes it feels like, well, is this thing that I gave? Like when you're judging by, by the reactions that, that you've seen, uh, is this gift even useful? Was it even wanted? Um, was it needed? I would, I would also ask, will this gift eventually be neglected, thrifted, forgotten, or even just simply thrown away. Um, but, but on a deeper side, I would ask, is there, is there more to this? So the chapter in the book is called Give More. And while it does a great job in presenting new ideas for gift giving, moreover, it illustrates that Jesus coming to earth as human was a really great example of something the book calls relational giving. So, According to the book, the incarnation is what we celebrate when we gather for worship. It's what we celebrate at the communion table. God was here in flesh and blood as a fulfillment of promise. And that gives us real hope. 
According to the theologian N.T. Wright, Jesus exploded into the life of ancient Israel, the life of the whole world. Not as, not as a teacher of timeless truths, nor as a great moral example, but as the one whose life, death, and resurrection, God's rescue operation, was put into effect. And the cosmos turned its great corner at last. Apart from the incarnation, we would never fully know the depths to which we are loved or the lengths to which God can be trusted. That is what we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas. So my prayer this morning would be, God, help us to keep you the focus of the season. And through the traditions of gift giving, dinners, church services, productions, and more, help us see you in the midst of all of it. So my tendency when I read a big idea like found in Advent Conspiracy is, well, I've, I kind of have two tendencies. One of them would be to, to sort of, my cynical side would just discard it and say, this person doesn't really know what they're talking about. I'm just going to leave it. Um, but then the other side of me would sometimes have this tendency to say, I just need to go all in with this idea. So I remember having a conversation with Krisha after I read the chapter on Give More, you know, and I... I kind of said to her, this year, Krisha, we need to make every gift that we give be super meaningful, be super practical, fill a need, you know, be consumable, not be something that could be thrown away. But in the end, wouldn't that turn into sort of a, a New Year's resolution for many of us? You know, we, we have this big idea of something we want to change, and we try to change too much, and we can't replicate it year after year. It's easy to take the words written and turn them into a formula for better living. But it doesn't take nuance into the picture. Some of us may absolutely love giving gifts. I think of my wife, and I think she gets great joy, whether it's something bought, whether it's something made, she gets great joy out of, out of finding and giving gifts. Some may hate it. Some may be somewhat indifferent and just kind of go through the motions. Some may want to change when they read something like this. Others may want to think more about it. Others resist the changing of tradition as if it's maybe a bad thing. Some may feel Christmas is too expensive. Others may feel like they've already found the right balance. So what do we do when we read something like this? What do we, how do we sort of let it impact us? So here are three points from this chapter. And they're about the incarnation and gift giving for us to keep in mind during this season. Um, and I thought this was really great how he connected the incarnation and Jesus coming to earth with the tradition of gift giving. So first of all, God gave us his own presence. That was one of the most significant things about the incarnation. Some of the disciples or some of the others that, that were around Jesus said that they wanted to see the father. And Jesus seemingly said to them, well, you've seen me, you've seen God. It's like some of them didn't realize the gift they've been given by Jesus actually coming in human form into this earth. His presence, him becoming a human, um, showed us that he loved us. Simone Weil says, attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. When I think about presence, I think about I think about my father who, um, despite his career, um, he was a field mechanic, um, heavy duty field mechanic um, before 
before my parents started having children. Um, but when they, he realized that he wanted to, to be there every night for supper. And so he, he sort of stopped working in the field when, when his kids were born and, and just worked in the shop. And I'm sure he made for a little bit, I'm sure he made less money than he otherwise could have made with overtime and, and things like that. But he had five kids at home and yet he was there every night for supper. Um, and both of my parents, that was true. We had, we had dinner as a family every night. Uh, and that's something that I'll always remember. It was meaningful to me. So being present shows people that we value our time with them. I don't mean to sound arrogant. I don't want to, but my time, your time, it does have worth. Christmas is a great time to be ever more present with those that we know and love. But furthermore, it's a great time to be present with those that maybe we don't know as well. Maybe those that, that we're trying to get to know, or maybe even those that may be strangers to us. It's, it's a great time to, to just be present, to be with people. So when I think about the presence of God when I was a kid, and maybe even a little bit of a young adult versus how I think of it now. Um, when I was a child, when I was a teenager, even as a young adult, I always thought of the presence of God as that thing in church that makes you feel kind of warm and fuzzy, uh, that makes you maybe cry sometimes, maybe it makes you really happy sometimes. Um, and I don't know if I really thought of it much beyond that. Uh, but when I think of it now, and when I think of it in, in terms of of what we see happening in the world, what we see happening in our own city, Abbotsford. Um, I think of a God who is present with the poor, with the rejected, with the oppressed. And I think if we can reframe our thinking, and I know many probably already have and are in the process of doing that around the presence of God as being something, not just something mystical, not just something that's intangible, but something that's all around us. Then when we spend time with others, we're in fact, sharing in the presence of Jesus with them. There was a question posed a few weeks ago asking, where is God in the face of such disaster? And he was talking about the floods. Um, and the answer was um, the presence of God, God himself was in the building of the dams, in the fixing of property, in the serving of hot meals, and in the rescuing of livestock and of people. The second thing that the book talks about was that the gift of Jesus was extremely personal. It's all in the Gospels. Um, it's pretty clear when we read the Gospels and we, and we look at Jesus that he liked people. He liked being around them um, and he liked to meet them where they were at. I think about the woman at the well. I think about the feeding of the 5,000. Um, he didn't specifically, he, it seemed like in the writings, it seems like he thought that feeding them was, it was just another thing that, that um, was to satisfy them, um, but he did it. Uh, the wedding at Cana, where perhaps, perhaps he enabled people to do something that, that we would look on today and think like, why would Jesus do that? Why would he turn water into more wine? so that they could get more intoxicated than they likely already were. Um, isn't that like somehow a sin? Well, I guess um, for today, I'm just, I'm not gonna get into a discussion about it, but let's just call it a mystery. <laughs> so how can I give a gift this Christmas 
that shows the person, I see you, I hear you, and you matter. The book calls this relational giving. I have another quote for you. I realize this thing is cutting off part of my quotes. Oh, well. The best gift you can give someone is part of your soul. And that was by a lady named Jane Seymour. When we give relationally, it doesn't need to cost a lot of money because it's deeper. it has a deeper meaning than its price tag. Like when a child you, that you love and loves you draws you a picture or makes you something. Like when a friend gives you a book that is exactly the kind of thing that, that you yourself would want to read. My wife's brother is amazing at this. He, I don't know how he does it, but he gives books to me um, for birthdays or for Christmas that it's like it shows me that he's been listening to conversations that we've had. Um, and, you know, it's something that I'll go to a bookstore and I'll, I'll try and find a, get a book for someone. And I'll be like, I have no idea. But he's such an avid reader. And so there's something inside him that just knows how to give books that, that people will want to read. The third point is Jesus' gift to us was extremely costly. That's the other part of his life, he, of him coming in human form. And then we know the rest of the story, but he laid down his life. He became a servant. We've heard it said many times around here that his love or his, his gift or his love was self-giving, other-centered and radically forgiving. Have you ever given a gift that was a ton of work, thought, money, time, or all of the above? How about when you knew and didn't care whether there would be something in return? How about when the person that you gave to didn't even know that it was you that gave the gift? Mother Teresa says, the meaning of true love is to give until it hurts. Carol Ryrie Brink says, the most truly generous persons are those who give silently without the hope of praise or reward. This to me is the hardest part of all three points. Giving costly gifts. It'll always be uncomfortable in some way. Nobody can tell you you have to, but something in you tells you that you must. It will stretch, it will hurt, and that's why it's costly. Financial cost is definitely a measure, but it's not the only measure. And Frank said that no one has ever become poor by giving. And I've heard Francis Chan say a similar thing where someone had asked him, what if you get to the end of your life and you were so generous that you had nothing left to give your children um, as, as an inheritance? And his answer um, was, First of all, I don't think that's possible. Um, I don't think it's possible to be so generous that you have nothing left at the end. Um, and then the second point that he made was, if that were possible, if somehow I could give and it didn't come back to me, that wouldn't be such a bad thing. So as I said, financial giving is only one measure. It can be hard to relate to giving, uh, to giving people non-necessity type gifts um, when we think about, when we think about giving in a costly way. Um, and I wonder if this could be due in part to, uh, for the average, for the average family in Canada, the amount of disposable income that we have, you know, when you say you have an extra $200 every month, um, 
if it's the, if it's the choice between whether I go out to eat or whether I go hang out with my friends or whether I give a gift, yeah, it might cause you some inconvenience, but it's not necessarily um, costing you your rent, for example. Um, the availability of credit cards is another one. I think that it's become so easy to just charge that gift and, and think I'll just pay it off later. And, and the fact that many of us really have everything that we need, um, at least in, in the social circles that probably many of us are in. But what about our time? Is that a good indicator of a costly gift? Perhaps. Perhaps you put together something like a photo album or something really labor intensive that doesn't cost a lot, or you make something with your hands, um, or you create a piece of art. Um, maybe that's a, a good example of a costly gift. What about our comfort? I think of the ones who invite strangers and acquaintances into their home for their family Christmas time. I think for a lot of families that like Christmas day time is like this sacred space where um, you're so used to the tradition of how you've done it um, that it can be hard to. But uh, I think of my parents, first of all, that used to invite this older gentleman who may have had nowhere else to go. Um, and was it always easy having this person on Christmas for, for dinner? No, it wasn't because he, he was, you know, he was someone that talked a lot. Um, he talked about himself a lot, um, but he maybe had nowhere else to go. And so that was something that, that I'll always admire about um, the way my parents did Christmas. I think of my parent, uh, of my wife, Krisha's family, who um, I think it's become somewhat of a running joke that there's always going to be extra people um, at Christmas celebrations and, and Thanksgiving celebrations. There just always will. Uh, and that's okay. It might be different than you're used to, but, um, but maybe it really matters to the person that you're, that you're inviting in. John 15, 13 says that greater love has no one than this, but to lay down one's life for one's friends. I was also thinking about, and this isn't something that the book talks about, but I was thinking about what about those who feel when Christmas comes along that they really have nothing to give? What about those who've suffered such great loss this year? Um, you know, that might hear something like this and just say, I'm spent. Um, you know, with, with all that's gone on this year, I just don't know what I can give. So I think about those who've been in the floods in this last little bit. I think about those who have lost crops and have lost um, some of their livestock and income during, due to the heat waves that we experienced in the summer. I think about those who've lost loved ones due to COVID, to sickness, those who've experienced relational difficulty, maybe divorce, those who've had other kinds of loss. And I'm just left um, with that prayer that maybe some of you have heard. Um, and it's just Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. It can be hard to consider how Jesus laid down his life. And how can we even get close to that? You know, there are so many good causes. There's so many good things that we can do in this season. And I think about something that Karina said as we were all sitting around last week. And she said it as kind of a cliche, but, um, but there is something, maybe there's just one thing that each of us could do to make a difference. Something that's maybe costly in this season. There's, there's something in our hands that we can give. If you're not sure what to do, not sure how to change, 
or even cynical about what you've heard and read. I just want to say you're not alone because there's always in, in me personally, there's always that cynical side of me that, um, that doesn't know how to respond to some of the big ideas. So before I end, um, I wanted to, to read something that immediately came to mind as I thought about this morning. Um, and it's a children's book. Um, and because I have Amazon Prime, I was able to, to just load it. So I'm going to try and do that now. And I think it really, I think it really relates to, to what we're talking about this morning. Um, and it's, I'm not going to say too much about it. Uh, I'm just going to let the book speak for itself. But um, let me just, let me just get to it. Okay, so the book is called The Giving Tree. It's somewhat of an older book. I'm not sure when it was written by, but it was written by a guy named Shel Silverstein. So I'm gonna let the book do the talking and then we'll be moving into Q&R time. So The Giving Tree for Nikki. Once there was a tree and she loved a little boy. And every day the boy would come And he would gather her leaves and make them into crowns and play king of the forest. He would climb up her trunk and swing from her branches and eat apples. And they would play hide and go seek. And when he was tired, he would sleep in her shade. And the boy loved the tree very much. And the tree was happy. Aww. The time went by. Come on. And the tree was often alone. Then one day the boy came to the tree and the tree said, come boy, come and climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and eat apples and play in my shade and be happy. Well, I'm too big to climb and play, said the boy. I want to buy things and have fun. I want some money. Can you give me some money? I'm sorry, said the tree, but I have no money. I have only leaves and apples. But take my apples, boy, and sell them in the city. Then you'll have money and you'll be happy. And so the boy climbed up the tree and gathered her apples and carried them away. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time. And the tree was sad. And then one day the boy came back and the tree shook with joy. She said, come boy, climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and be happy. I'm too, I'm too busy to climb trees, said the boy. I don't think he's really a boy. I think he's more of a man now, but okay, we'll call him a boy. I want a house to keep me warm, he said. I want a wife and I want children. And so I need a house. Can you give me a house? I have no house, said the tree. The forest is my house, but you may cut off my branches and build a house then you'll be happy. Lighten a little bit, come on. And the tree was happy. Why is it not switching pages for me? Just one second here. But the boy stayed away for a long time. And when he came back, the tree was so happy she could hardly speak. Come boy, she whispered, come and play. I'm too old and sad to play, said the boy. I want a boat that will take me far away from here. Can you give me a boat? 
cut down my trunk and make a boat, said the tree. Then you can sail away and be happy. And so the boy cut down her trunk and made a boat and sailed away. And the tree was happy, but not really. After a long time, the boy came back again. I'm sorry, boy, said the tree, but I have nothing left to give you. My apples are gone. My teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. My branches are, are gone, said the tree. You cannot swing on them. I'm too old to swing on branches, said the boy. My trunk is gone, said the tree. You cannot climb. Well, I'm too tired to climb, said the boy. I'm sorry, sighed the tree. I wish that I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I'm just an old stump. I'm sorry. Well, I don't need very much now, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I'm very tired. Well, said the tree, straightening herself up as much as she could. Well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, sit down, sit and rest. And the boy did. And the tree was happy. The end. So we're going to stop sharing. And we'll just pray before we go into Q&R time. God, we thank you for this season. We thank you for the joy that it brings. But we also recognize that for some, it may not be joy. So we pray this season that um, for those of us that, that have Christmas spirit, those of us that, that have, are experiencing joy, that we could share that joy with others, that, that we could share like, like you shared when you, uh, when you came to this earth. We pray that we could be your, your hands, your feet. Um, we pray that you would just fill us with your spirit as we go through the rest of this Christmas season. In your name, amen.